All right, well, good morning again. Welcome to H2O. Uh, my name is Brian Wiles. If I haven't got a chance to meet you, I'm one of the pastors here, and we are so honored and privileged to have you here joining us, especially if you're newer to H2O. I want to say a special welcome to you. It's great to have you here with us. And you actually came, as Kent said, on a week where many of us, uh, over 100 of us actually, were serving uh, on spring break trips all around the world and even locally, which was really cool. I was in Guatemala, so it was like 90 degrees, but I was getting updates from my wife. For those of you who were here and you were like raking snow leaves, you know, and like the, the 35 degree weather here, and we felt so bad for you. We were actually a little hot, um, and you were really cold. So um, it, was, it was a great week, and uh, it's exciting to be back together uh, today. And today we are concluding, we're finishing, we're wrapping up uh, our series on the book of Exodus. If you've been with us, you know over the last six weeks we've been walking through this ancient book that tells the story of God's people and how God made a promise to his people, and God is a promise-keeping God. And so over the last six weeks, we've watched God keep his promise, and we've worked through the book of Exodus, and today we're going to wrap it up as next week we'll be heading into Palm Sunday and Easter, and so we're finishing this series today with talking about the law and the Ten Commandments. We're wrapping up this Exodus series with talking about the law. And as you think about that, that word, the law, it's something that many of us, we kind of have like a love-hate relationship with the law, don't we? And specifically for myself, I'll be a little bit vulnerable with you, I have a love-hate relationship with the law, especially when it comes to laws that have to do with driving an automobile, okay? Because uh, I've... I'm not, this is confession time, but I, I've been known to have, you know, a little bit of a, a lead foot. I'm actually the, the chaplain for the police department here. I don't know if I should be admitting that, um, but, but it is the case, so you guys will have to forgive me if any of the guys from the department are here, but it's true. Um, it's something that, that, for me, I look at the laws, and it's kind of like every once in a while, again, this is a confession, it's kind of like they're a suggestion for me. They're laws for everybody else, but they're a suggestion for me. When my kids, they were starting to figure out, you know, how speed limits work and stuff like that, they, they oftentimes would catch on that I was maybe gone a little bit uh, over the speed limit, and so they'd start looking over my shoulder, and they'd be like, Dad, are you speeding right now? And when they were really young, I could just tell a white lie, and I could say, you know, like, yeah, I'm fine, don't worry about it. But when they got a little bit older, they would get, could actually, like, look at the speedometer, and so they'd say, Dad, what's the speed limit right now? And may, I'd say 55, and they'd be like, well, why are you going 60? And then I'd have to try to explain to them, like, well, five over isn't really speeding. It's kind of like, it's, it's okay, like, we have an agreement. And they're like, you have an agreement with who, you know? And I'm like, no, for me, it's fine. They're like, really? And so uh, that, that love-hate relationship with the law kind of came full circle to me last week, actually, when we were in Guatemala, okay? Now, when we were in Guatemala, um, Guatemala is a beautiful country, but they call it a beautiful mess, right? And so we were in this city, the Guatemala City is actually one of the most dangerous cities in the world. We went to some areas that were, that were kind of dangerous, um, but honestly, we were never like really afraid or threatened or scared for our safety when we were walking around different parts of the city, but the time I was most scared for my safety was when we were on the roads in Guatemala. Like if you've ever been to a country like that, literally they take that idea that like the laws are for everybody else to a whole new level and everybody just does whatever they want on the roads. It was amazing. It was like this, this thing that I could not imagine happening. And Allison, my daughter, she was with me. She's like, why is nobody like following the laws? Aren't there speed limits? And I'm like, yeah, they just kind of 
do what they want here, you know? And she's like, isn't that like what you do? And so I have this a little bit of a conviction moment because it's like if everybody in the U.S. acted like me, we'd probably have our streets kind of like what I'm all. They, they said that the, um, the craziest thing was the motorcycle drivers. They said that the dotted lines between the lanes, they, they called those the motorcycle lanes. And so there'd be like this, this much space between the buses. And motorcycles would just zoom and by, like gone as fast as they can. And it is just amazing that anybody gets anywhere in that place. But the laws of that place were kind of like suggestions, you know, and, and as we thought about that, I thought, you know, isn't that interesting? A lot of times, that's how we think about and interact with the law. So maybe as you hear that word, you have some mixed emotions. You know, some of us have some baggage when we hear uh, about the laws or specifically about God's laws because we think it's kind of a list of do's or don'ts, a list of things to kind of get us in trouble, a checklist. And so today we are going to look at the Ten Commandments and we're going to unpack those and we're going to discover what God wants us to learn from his word that was written thousands of years ago that still applies to us today. So with that in mind, let me just do some quick recap. Let me get us caught up. Let me bring us kind of up to where we've been because you have to view the Ten Commandments in context to the whole book of Exodus. Uh, That's a truth of all the Bible. If you want to read the Bible well, you have to know what was going on before the passage that you read and what's going to happen after it so that you can completely understand it. So some context as we come into the Ten Commandments. We started this series going all the way back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 12, where God gives this man Abraham a promise. And he gives this man Abraham, who's in his 90s, and his wife is in his 90s. They have no biological children. God promises Abraham and Sarah, I'm going to make a great nation out of your descendants. Okay, this is a key moment in the history of the world. God says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you and your wife. And as, as God says that, of course, Abraham and Sarah, they, they think it's a joke. They think it's a cruel uh, thing that God would say to them. But God miraculously keeps his promise. Uh, somehow, Sarah is able to conceive and have a child in her 90s. And so God starts to make this promise of making a great nation out of Abraham and Sarah's descendants. And he says, not only will it be a great nation, but this is a key thing we're going to talk about throughout the day. It will be a great nation that will will bless every other nation. Okay, so this isn't just supposed to be a great nation so everybody can look at it and say how great. This nation that God is building, that still is us today, this nation is supposed to be a blessing to every other generation and every other nation. And so uh, as they start to multiply and grow, uh, God's people, the Israelites, find themselves in Egypt and the Egyptians are threatened by how quickly the Israelites are growing and multiplying and happening by by the great nation that they are becoming. And so the Egyptians enslave the Israelites to try to put them under population control, to try to make sure that they don't outrun them in their own nation. And so now God's people that he gave a promise find themselves in bondage and in slavery. So God starts to step in again. And, and, and God says that he's going to use this man, Moses. He has this burning bush experience with Moses, who we're going to read about today, who gets the Ten Commandments from God. And God says, I'm going to choose you, Moses, to lead my people out of slavery. So Moses doesn't think he can do it. God says you can. And so God's always right. And so God empowers Moses to go to Pharaoh. There's these ten different plagues that that Pharaoh doesn't, doesn't change his heart and his mind. He tries to keep uh, the people of Israel in slavery. And finally, God has to do something so powerful to get Pharaoh's attention. He brings this, this plague of Passover where he kills the firstborn of every Egyptian during that time. Pharaoh finally relents. God's people, they, they leave Egypt. 
and they part through the Red Sea as God literally parts the Red Sea. It's a song that we sing about, that we've sang every week throughout this series. And God's people run into the wilderness, out of Egypt, into the wilderness. God closes the Red Sea on the Egyptians. And now God's people are just kind of wandering in the wilderness. God has given them a promise that there is a land set aside for them, that they will become a great nation and they will have their own land. But as we pick up the pages of Scripture in Exodus chapter 20 today, his people are still kind of roaming. They're still in this wandering phase where they're in the wilderness trying to get to that promised land, but not completely quite there yet. And in the midst of that time, as they're in the wilderness, God again reveals himself to Moses, and he gives the people, and he gives Moses these ten commandments. And and in essence, God is saying, listen, now that you are a people, and now that you're no longer in slavery, I want to tell you how to live. I want to give you these ten commandments to help you, and I'm the God who delivered you out of Egypt, and I want to show you what this new life what this abundant life is supposed to look like. And so God gives Moses these laws at Sinai, and they're not arbitrary rules or laws, but they're given to show us God's character and God's goodness and what God's original plan for humankind and for his creation is all about. And so God says, I want you to take these Ten Commandments, I want you to live them out. And I want you to obey them because you're my children, you're my kids, and this will be what is best for you. And God says, obey these commandments as a way to show me that you love me. And so he gives them these commandments. And the same as we learn and as we've been walking through this this series, what God says to these people thousands of years ago still applies to us today. You see, God's law, just like these Ten Commandments he gave to this specific time, to these specific people, God's law, it kind of sets us apart. It kind of gives us a unique identity in the world that we live in. And we're going to discover that as we jump into and we look at the Ten Commandments. Uh, Here's the big idea for today. The big idea is this. The Ten Commandments commandments they show us our brokenness and they show us how to be set apart the the purpose and the function uh, of the ten commandments is really twofold god's law all of god's law but specifically the ten commandments it points us to the fact that we as humans are broken and it also shows us the path to righteousness to follow and walk in the abundant life that God has for us. Think about those, those two different things. The Ten Commandments and really all of God's laws, it's almost like this spiritual x-ray. You know, you think about an x-ray, it's like if you've ever had a broken bone, if you've ever been in a position where, where you've hurt something, you need to go and get diagnosed so that you know what is truly wrong with you. When I was a kid, um, I was playing pickup football in the backyard, and my parents were inside with a bunch of other people, and as we were playing football, I fell on the ground on my collarbone, and I fell on the wrong way, and I snapped the end of my collarbone off. Like, I literally broke my collarbone. The piece snapped off on the very end. And so I walked inside the house, and I'm like, Mom and Dad, I broke my collarbone. I need to go to the hospital. And I wasn't crying or screaming or anything like that. I was in, like, sixth grade or something like that. Maybe I was trying to be a tough guy. I don't really remember. Uh, But my parents, 
because of the way I was reacting, they're like, you know, you're fine. It's probably going to be okay. It's just a stinger, you know. Sometimes those things happen, you know, son, when you're playing football. Don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. Just take a little break. And I was like, no, I broke my collar. Like, I know. I can feel it. I broke my collarbone. And they're like, no, no, no. I think you're going to be okay. And so we had this back and forth argument for a while. And finally, I'm like, I'm telling you guys, I broke it. You have to take me to the hospital. They're like, fine. You know, they're almost kind of annoyed with me a little bit. My parents are great parents, just so you know. Love you, Mom. Um, But they were almost like a little bit annoyed because they were pretty convinced that I didn't break my collarbone. And so when we went to the ER and they put me up on the x-ray machine and it's like snapped off, I had this moment of pure like, in your face, you know? Like, yeah, but I needed that x-ray machine to prove that there was something broken inside of me. There was something wrong. And it wasn't going to get fixed by me just kind of continuing to go about life. I needed something to come in and heal me and fix me. I needed a brace put on me because there was something wrong. And that x-ray machine was like the proof, was like the, the, the diagnoster that just said, you know what, that is true. What he's saying is true. He's broken. And I have proof because I had a picture of it. Well, God's commandments, the Ten Commandments to us as we look through them today, Hopefully our hearts are soft enough that as we look at them, we're reminded that we could never fulfill them. We're broken. We're hurting. We're falling short over and over and over again. And so the Ten Commandments and all of God's law point us towards a need for somebody to fix us. Point us for our need for a Savior if we ever want to be made whole again. It's not something we can do on our own. We need fixing. And then secondly, they show us how to live. They show us how to live. That when we are able, by God's grace, to walk in the freedom that he actually brings for us, when we're no longer slaves to sin anymore, our lives reflect the pattern of what God's law points us to. And so not only did they show us that we're broken and that we need a Savior, but they also give us like this tool that helps us to see this is what abundant life looks like. This is what it looks like to follow the living God. This is God's original intent in the garden before sin entered, before brokenness entered, that our lives should look like this. So that is kind of the heart behind the Ten Commandments. That's the heart that I want to come into this text and this passage with as we look at it today. So let's look in Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. All right. Am I off? Okay. I'll grab this one right here. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. It says this. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Okay, so as we're going into the Ten Commandments, we first have to realize that God is kind of making a statement. You know, this isn't one of the Ten Commandments yet. God is just simply laying the framework. Hey, don't forget who I am. Okay, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Remember all those miraculous things that happened? Remember all the plagues that I brought on the Egyptians? That's me. And so as I'm about to give these Ten Commandments, these aren't the Ten Suggestions. You know, these aren't like the, the, the speed limit, you know, that you can just decide whether you want to follow them or not. These aren't for everybody else. Hey, 
I am the Lord your God. I brought you out of Egypt. I want you to pay attention. You've seen how magnificent I am. You've seen how powerful I am. I'm the Lord your God. So what I'm about to say, take note of. In verse 3, he says this. It says, you shall have no other gods before me. That's the first of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth below or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of their parents of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will, will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. And then verse number 8. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day it's a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor daughter nor your male or female servants nor your animals nor your foreign, foreigners residing in your town. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. And I want to stop right there after the, the fourth commandment and just kind of dissect a little bit of what's going on here because the first thing we can learn from these verses is this. The first four commandments, they teach us about how to commune with God. If you kind of take an in-depth look at each one of these commandments, and I wish I had time to kind of give like a full-scale teaching on all Ten Commandments. We don't have time to do that today, so we're going to have to kind of fly a little bit higher at 30,000 feet. But if you look at each one of these first four commandments, they're directly related to our relationship up and down vertically with God. The first one, you should have no other gods before me. And not only that, they're related to what was happening in Egypt. So it's almost a comparing and contrasting. Hey, my people, God's economy, me, God's kingdom, it's much different than the world's kingdom. And that's true for us today as it was for these people thousands and thousands of years ago. So the Egyptians, they had hundreds of gods. They bowed down and worshiped many different gods. Not so with you. Not my people. Don't put any other god before me. See, I'm not just one of many. I'm the one and only. I'm the king of the universe. I created it all. And so don't be stacking up other gods behind me or in front of me. I am the Lord, your God. Don't worship anybody else. So he says that to the ancient Israelites, and he says it to us today. Listen, there's lots of other gods, and we may not make golden calves like they did during those times, but there's lots of other gods that we can bow down and put before our Lord who created everything. And we've seen them over and over and over again in our culture. And so as we look at that first uh, of these Ten Commandments, it's something that directly applies to us still to this day. You should have no other gods before me. The second one is don't make any images or idols. Again, they would make these kind of golden images or idols. And they would, how silly does that seem, right? To bow down and worship like a golden calf. You know, it's just a, an object, right? But that's what they would continually do. And yet again, I think we're still tempted in our world, in our culture, to do the same thing. We're tempted to worship our careers. We're tempted to worship other people. We're tempted to worship celebrities. We're tempted to worship so many other things. And yet God says, listen, don't allow yourself to get hijacked and worship something that isn't nearly as good as the real thing. 
It's best for you to worship in truth. Then third, he says, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Now, oftentimes we think of this as, as, you know, don't literally use God's name in vain. And that is a great thing to be reminded of. But also what he's getting at here is not using the Lord's name to get our own benefit, our own agenda. Not using the power that comes with God's name to put ourselves before other people. And so God says, listen, my name isn't something just to be thrown around. My name isn't just something to be, to be used uh, for your own good. My name is something to be revered. There should be reverence when you speak of me because I'm the God who created all of this. And then fourth, he says, remember the Sabbath. Okay? In their context, think about what they'd just been through. Think about what, what the Israelites had just been through. They had been enslaved. They had been worked day and night, constantly beaten down. And when they weren't producing, they would get beaten and they would actually give them less straw, but make them make more bricks, it says in the book of Exodus. And so God is saying, listen, I'm giving you this commandment that you can rest. And think about that during that time, like how freeing that had to be. Think about how protective that was of the weak and the marginalized. Somebody who is essentially enslaved to somebody else. And God says, no, every single person has dignity. And so from the richest of you who sit on the thrones to the poorest of you who are enslaved, I want you to take a day and rest. Why? Because humanity is not about how much you can produce. Our value as humans isn't about what you can produce, but our value as humans is in who we are. What image we are created in, every single one of us being created in the image of God. Do you think that's something that we still need to hear to this day? Now, so many of us struggle with just thinking we are what we can produce. Work harder, produce more, then maybe people will love you. Strive to do better, and then maybe you can kindly, finally hit that point where, where people will look at you and respect you. And, and, and God says, listen, no, you can rest. You can rest. And he gave us a pattern, even when he created the world, to rest. How powerful is that? How freeing is that? And so as we look at these first four commandments, they're all about how we relate with God, that we trust God enough to say, God, I know that you can produce way more than me, and so I'm not going to have to pull myself up by my bootstraps, but I'm going to say, God, you can do amazing things through me even when I'm resting. Every one of these commandments show us how we can relate to God. And then we can jump back in and look at these, the next six commandments. Verse 12, it says this. It says, honor your father and your mother, so that they may live long in the land that your Lord God has given you. That's the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. Verse 13, you shall not murder. Verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. Verse 15, you shall not steal. Verse 16, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Verse 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servants or his axe or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. I know some of you guys are really struggling with wanting your neighbor's ox and donkey, all right? And so I just want to say, don't do that. <laughs> but these second six commandments, okay, so the first six or the first four, they were about how we would relate up and down to God. The second six, do you catch what's going on there? God's showing us how to relate to one another. So this, the second point is this. The second six commandments teach us about how to treat one another. If you could break down the Ten Commandments into two chunks, 
We would look at it and say it's really about how we connect with God and how we connect with one another. Uh, The fifth one, honor your father and mother, that there's something powerful about looking at the generations that have went before us and saying, you know what, they've lived a life a little bit longer. They might actually know a little bit more than me. And not that our parents can't make mistakes and not that our parents can't do anything wrong, but that we need to constantly be be honoring them and thankful for what they've done for us and how they've sacrificed for us, even when they've made mistakes. We need to honor them. Six, don't murder. I mean, I think that that's a a pretty much a a no-brainer, right? Across any culture that you go to, they'll have a rule about unjust killing that we can look at. But for us, we still have to say, well, what does that mean for us today? That means that there is dignity and value in life. That means from the the moment of conception, God says that he knits us together in our mother's wombs. And so there's beauty in human life. From the time we're conceived until the time that we die naturally, there's something powerful about God breathing life into us. And we need to do everything we can to value and to protect the life that God gives us. It's so important for us to look at this. And in a culture during that time, that life was a commodity that could come and go. Honestly, if you think back three, 4,000 years ago, it would not be abnormal for someone to, to not be getting the job done as a worker, as a slave, and for them just to be extinguished, for them to just be killed. And God says, no, not so with you. Not so with you. There's value in every part of life. And so that's why we have to fight for life. Because God gives it to us. It's not something that's ours to take. How arrogant would that be for us to think that we as humans have the right to take a life no matter what stage it's in? How arrogant is that? God says, no, there's something dignified about all life. He says, don't commit adultery. The, the, the way that we treat our spouses, the way that we treat one another, the sexual ethics that we have, they matter in our relationship with one another, and they matter in our relationship with God. It says, don't steal. Again, I think that we can all relate to this and say, yeah, that's something that, that we shouldn't do. Uh, but in, down in commandment number 10, God takes it even a step further. He says, not only don't steal, but don't even covet. If you see something somebody else has, you know, again, we kind of joked, we used this example of, uh, you know, maybe it's a wife or a husband, maybe it's an, an ox or a donkey, you know, that may not be the case for us today, but when you think about our lives today, haven't we taken coveting to a whole new level? Think about social media, think about the world that we live in, right? Oftentimes we wake up, the first thing we do is we check our phone. We see somebody that has something that we want, whether it's a relationship or a toy or a job, and we look at them and say, God, I kind of deserve that. How could you give that to them and not give it to me? And, and as God is giving us these Ten Commandments, he's saying, that's not good for your heart. That's damaging to being the type of person that I want you to be. So as we find ourselves starting to covet, we can look into our own hearts and say, man, I need a Savior, but also this is not the abundant life that Christ has for me. And so as we think about the Ten Commandments in these two very broad sections, connecting up with God and connecting with one another, we can go to the New Testament where Jesus reaffirms these exact things. In Matthew chapter 22, 
you know, oftentimes people were referencing back to Jesus and saying, well, what, what is the law, and, and should we follow it or shouldn't we follow it? Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40. They're asking Jesus a question. They're actually trying to trap him in this question. They say, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? In verse 37, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And what's he say in verse 40? All the law. So the Ten Commandments aren't the only law that God gave. In fact, he would go on to give hundreds of others of laws. God, Jesus says all the laws and the prophets that hang on these two commandments. Jesus is saying, listen. I can't even separate what the most important commandment is because these two are so essential that they're, they're interlinked, they're intermingled. You can't love God if you don't love the people around you. And you can't love the people around you unless you truly love God. And so they're, they're, they're mingled together, they're mixed together. But if you want to know what the greatest commandment is, love God with all your heart, love the people as yourself, and you will be fulfilling the law that God has given you. You will literally fulfill the law that God has given you. And so as we think about that, I, I want to kind of close with this question. Because it's a question, actually, that, that we get asked a lot uh, around here at H2. I think it's a question that many of us have on our hearts and on our minds. The question is this. What do we do with the Old Testament law? What do we do with the Ten Commandments? What do we do with the Old Testament law? I mean, is it something that we still need to follow to this day to an extent? Is it something that we need to, to look at and, and kind of measure our life based on what is said in the Old Testament and the law? What do we do with it? Because we know all of the Bible is true. We know all the Bible is helpful. We know all the Bible is instructing us, and it's part of the Bible. So what do we do with it? Do the Ten Commandments, are they something that we have to follow, that we're under to this day? I want you to think about that for a minute. And now I want to look at Galatians chapter 3. Paul is writing to a group of, of, of Christians, they're young Christians, that are just like infatuated with the law, actually. Like they can't get it out of their head. And, and, and they're, they're building everything they do around how well they're keeping to the Old Testament law. And in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says this, it says, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. In other words, if you want to live your life by the law, then you better make sure that you keep every part of the law. If you're looking for the law to bring you freedom, then you better make sure that you don't make a mistake down to every letter, down to every comma, down to every crossing every T and dotting every I. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. And he says this in verse 11 of Galatians chapter 3. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God. He says that's impossible because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeems us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hung on a pole or on a tree, and he redeemed us 
in order that the blessings given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Then we're going to jump down to verse 21. Because check this out. Maybe you're thinking this exact thing that Paul's about to say. Okay, so we can't live by the law anymore. Verse 21. Is the law therefore opposed to God's promise? So is the law bad? Should we like cut this out of the Bible? If, if Paul's saying that, that it's a curse to have to try to live by? Verse 21, absolutely not. For if the law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised, being given through faith in Christ, might be given to those who believe. What's Paul saying here? Paul's saying, listen, we are not under control of the law anymore. We don't have to stack ourselves up against the Ten Commandments and say, yep, I, you know, I got 7.5 right today. All right, God, I'm going to start over tomorrow. I'm going to try and get 8.5 and work my way a little bit higher each day. Paul says, no, Jesus came and set us free from that. That's exactly why Jesus came. Because he looked at every single one of us and he said, there is no way that these people can live up to the commandments that I've given them. Jesus in the New Testament, he, a little fun exercise you can do if you think that you're a pretty good person is walk yourself through those Ten Commandments, but do it through Jesus' eyes rather than what, what's just written in, in Exodus. Because Jesus said, hey, maybe by God's grace you haven't murdered somebody, and I hope most of us haven't. You know, maybe by God's grace you haven't murdered somebody, but do you have hate in your heart? Because even hate, is like murder. Maybe by God's grace you haven't committed adultery, but have you ever looked at somebody else lustfully? Then if so, you've committed adultery in your heart. So there's no way that any of us can keep these Ten Commandments. It's like this spiritual x-ray that's shining onto the fact that we are all broken and we need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus says, Don't think that I've come to abolish the law. No, the law is still helpful because it points us towards Christ. Don't think that I've come to abolish it, the law or the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, but I've come to fulfill it. Because Jesus did keep the law perfectly. And yet he was crucified and killed and sent to the cross for you and for me. And now, for those of us who are walking with Jesus, we're not under the law. We don't have to put the Ten Commandments up on our mirror every day and, and ask how we stack ourselves up to them. But we can use them as a guideline to ask, are we actually following God the way that he wants us to? Because listen, the question is this, what are you trusting in to make you right again? What are you trusting in to get that brokenness inside of you made whole? If you're trusting in yourself, if you're trusting in your own goodness, if you're trusting that maybe if you just work hard enough, you can get them all right. You can move from 7.5 to 8 to 8.5 to 9, and maybe someday you'll get all 10 of them right for a whole day. It's not going to happen. That's not the way that God created us. If you're trusting in your good works, you're trusting in the law. But if you're trusting in Jesus, he fulfilled it all already. And that's the beauty of the gospel. 
And I think that's important to note that if your takeaway from this message is, well, then I can just claim the name of Jesus and do whatever I want, then you're definitely missing the point. Because here's what the Bible says. When we become followers of Christ, the, the law gets written on our hearts. It gets written on our hearts. And so the question we can constantly ask is, how close am I following Jesus by what does our life look like? And so instead of looking at it as a checklist, we can say, am I living out the law out of an overflow, out of an abundance, out of a relationship with the God of the universe who perfectly lived out what it looks like to follow God? See, as we think about this reality, it points us back to that very first promise that God gave Abraham. I'm going to make you a great nation, and from you, every nation will be blessed. Jesus is a descendant of that very first promise. Jesus is a descendant of the people of Israel. And now every single nation, every single nation on earth gets to call out for the name of Jesus. No matter what your background is, no matter what your religion is, no matter where you came from, no matter what your race is, Jesus is available for every single one of us to be made right with God through trusting and following him. Not in the law, not in our own good works, but in what he has done for us. So I want to pray and I want to close and I want to ask us all just to reflect, am I trusting in myself or am I trusting in Jesus to set me free and live that abundant life that he's called us to? Would you pray with me?